Good morning, brothers and sisters. I have the privilege of reading uh, the scripture this morning. The scripture reading is found in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. It's entitled A Prayer for the Ephesians, but I also believe it's a prayer for upper room. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Well, um, we're talking about belief this morning. I want to tell you something that, that I really believe, I honestly do. I believe that if I exercise three to four times a week, that I'll be healthier. And I also believe that if I watch what I eat, I have this little app that I can track what I eat, that I'm, in, I'm, I'm going to be good. If I can exercise and watch what I eat, I'll be good. But if you didn't know me, and you just logged my activity the last four weeks, you were just kind of able to see my life the last four weeks. Here's what you would conclude that I really believe. That exercise is good, but if you don't have time, it's okay. That a little here, a little there isn't going to kill me. And like sweets and desserts aren't that bad for you. That's basically what you believe. Why? Because, as I've said to you before, nobody lives inconsistently with their beliefs. Nobody lives inconsistently with their beliefs. We all live exactly according to the things that we believe. Not the things we say, but the things we really believe. I can say to you, I know what it means to be a good husband. I'm supposed to love and serve my wife. But in the moment of an argument where I'm refusing to give any ground, what I really believe in that moment is, if one of us is wrong, it's probably you. (laughs) That never happens, I'm just saying, just for instance. If I kind of groan that my wife asked me to go out to the car at like 11 o'clock at night and it's freezing because she can't find something and she thinks it might be in the van, and I'm like, oh, are you sure? In that moment, what I really believe is my time and my comfort is more important than yours, right? Because we all live, we cannot actually live inconsistently with our beliefs, which means if there's something wrong in your life or something that you want to fix, The solution isn't try to act better, but you need to believe better. The solution isn't to change your actions, but to examine your beliefs. What is it that I really believe? Because what I really believe, I always act on. The scriptures say that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What I speak is what I really believe. What I do is what I really believe. It's interesting, if you think about the culture around us and maybe friends or family, maybe even yourself, you look at the church and and Christianity and what's one of the things, maybe the the two things that people say are wrong with Christianity. The first one is what? Hypocrisy, right? 
uh, people don't live what they say they believe. Hypocritical. Church doesn't act like, oh, you're supposed to be a Christian. Why would, how could that person be someone who believes God and does this? Right? People have said that. We've said that. That's, we think that's a problem, maybe with religion in general, but specifically with Christianity. People have this sense of how you're supposed to act. But the second thing they would say is fanaticism is the other problem. People believe too much. Don't be so into your beliefs. Fanaticism is what causes um, you know, people to bomb abortion clinics and, and do crazy stuff and pick it and, and like stand for things they should never stand for and, and be judgmental because they're, they're too fanatical. Now, I would agree that the Christian church, in a sense, and if even look historically, maybe has a problem with hypocrisy, but I would submit to you that the solution is not to become less fanatical, but actually more. Because what happens if a follower of Jesus becomes more radical and fanatical, like more committed than ever, no matter what, to following Jesus? They become more like Jesus. Jesus was a fanatical too, but he didn't bomb abortion clinics. He didn't stand up and judge people. In fact, he said, I didn't come to judge, but to save and to heal and restore. The, the, the craziness of Jesus, the, the craziness that actually got him killed, was a, a kind of life that was so committed to those that the rest of the world had rejected, was so committed to going to the margins of society where religion or socioeconomic status or physical beauty or physical health had sort of pushed them away. Jesus was so committed to those people and saying, actually, God wants you to come in. He was so committed to the people who had made a mess of their lives. And instead of uh, judging and saying, God doesn't judge you, he, he actually sent me to bring you home. That if the two point something billion people around the world who say they are followers of Jesus actually became way more radical, the whole world would say, thank you, we needed that. Fanaticism isn't the problem. The problem is we're not committed enough to what we say we really believe. That if we really believed, if we really lived out the things that we say we believe, even those who don't believe would say, thank you, that's actually made the world a better place to live. See, belief is this word we throw around in church a lot. And that, that song that Lori and the team just led us in is based off a creed that was written, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, professing this is what we believe. But I would submit to you as the church, and I know in my own life, that what I say I believe is different than what I actually act on. What I really need to know is what, what would it mean for my heart to really believe the things that I say I believe? And put it this way, and it's in the back of your bulletin. If my heart really believed, what kind of person would I really be? That I would submit to you the changes that I want to see in my life, that you want to see in your life, that we want to see in this faith community. It's not about trying to act better or do better or be better, but actually becoming more aware of what it is that we really believe and learning to believe more. So we're doing this series, we're going to take eight weeks, and we're going to actually go through many of the things that were actually said in that, in that song about what it is, what is it actually that Christians believe? Now maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'm glad. Well, good, you can figure out what, because sometimes we have a, a fairly distorted picture of what we think the Bible says or what we think Christians believe based on the church we grew up in, the religious tradition we grew up in, the Time Magazine article we read, or the family that we were raised in that told us this is what it is. We're actually going to go through Scripture and say, what do the Scriptures actually tell us? about who God is and who we are and how we live in relationship with him and the relationship with the world that he put us in. 
what, and, and not just kind of, kind of head knowledge or this is what you believe, yeah, check, and some of you may say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I believe that. So no, what would it mean if your heart really believed it? I would submit to your life would change if we really believed what we say we believe. And so we're going to take eight weeks to do that. And we're starting today in uh, the place that I would say, if you asked me, what is unique about the God that you worship? Amongst every other worldview, amongst every other sort of holy book or religious movement, what is it that is unique about the Christian faith, about what you believe about God? And I don't know what your answer would be, but the answer is this, that our God is three in one. We call it the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one being and three persons. It is, a, it is the Trinitarian belief about who God is. And it is unique, actually, in any world religion, in any worldview, that somehow God is three in one. That there is one God, not three gods, because if there were three gods, then somebody would have to fight and somebody would have to win. It's not possible that there would be three beings separately who are all outside time, space, matter, and energy, whatever. It is one being, God, and yet he is revealed to us as three persons in one. Now, even as I'm talking to him, we're like, whoa, stay with me. This is what we just sang, right? I believe our God is three in one. God the Father, creator, sustainer, ruler over all things. God the Son, Jesus sent to us, God in the flesh, Jesus the Son. And God the Holy Spirit sent to us by the Father and the Son to live within us, the Spirit of God in us. This is what we believe as Christians, that this is unique, that God is revealed to us as one being, three persons. And some of you have started to read the journals that we're doing through this series. You can pick one up today if you don't have one that actually starts to peel the layers on this. Now, this is interesting because you won't find one verse in Scripture that says, this is who God is. He is three, he is one God, three persons, and he, it's not, there's not a complete single verse that describes the Trinity, but early Christians began to piece it together based on all of the things that they read in Scripture, the things Jesus said about himself, the things Jesus said about the Father, the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, the four biographies of Jesus, the writings in the Old Testament and the New Testament, early Christians began to piece this together and say, this sounds crazy, but it seems to be that God is one and three persons, three persons in one being. Like nobody would come up with that by themselves. They just began to piece it together based on who God had revealed himself to be. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is something that the church has believed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but they came by it sort of piecing together saying, you know, as, as uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in his Sherlock Holmes book says, when you've eliminated everything else, that which remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. And they came to this point saying the way Jesus talked about himself, about God, about the Holy Spirit, the way scriptures talk about God in the Old Testament, the way God talked about himself, the way the, the early church um, apostles wrote about God, and the early church began to piece it together and saying, this is what we believe. Now, some of you are like, well, how does that work? It's like when, when my wife was trying to explain how babies are born to our kids, and one of my sons just kept asking questions, yeah, but how does that happen? So that's okay, so you might be going, Trinity, like, yeah, but how, how is that possible? I don't even, that sort of bends, the, just the language, you can say it, but I don't, I don't get it. And I, and I would submit to you this, whether you're someone who says, yeah, yeah, I believe this, or you're just trying to figure this out. The question really we have to wrestle with is not how does this work, but why does it matter? Why would it be that God is three persons in one being? 
And I want to read to you the passage that Neil read for you because I think there's a clue in it first and foremost, the answer. This is Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. This is Paul's prayer, and it's, it's referred to as a Trinitarian prayer because it mentions all three persons of the Trinity, and he's praying for the church, but they, listen to what he prays. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his, that's God the Father's, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his, that's the Father's Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ, Jesus, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. That I, I'm praying, he's praying for you that you might grasp what? That you might get something. We're trying to grasp this Trinity thing. That you might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The very first thing that the, that the Trinity actually reveals to us is that it explains to you and I why as human beings we crave love, intimacy, and relationship. See, I just, I cannot, now I like Star Wars, but I cannot come to the conclusion that the being up there in the universe is an impersonal force, this kind of yin and yang, good and evil sort of force thing that is impersonal. Why? Because I look at everything that this force created, and it's way more complex than that. We are complex, relational beings who crave love and intimacy. How is it possible except that we have been created by a being who is love and intimacy, right? You don't look at a Van Gogh painting and think, well, this painting is more complex than the artist. Only an artist, the artist produces something less complex than themselves because they are over it. They are the master of it. It's why it's called their masterpiece. So you don't look at the complexity of creation and think, well, what created us must be an impersonal blob. That can't be. It must be relational. It must be intimacy. It must crave relationship. Well, how do we know? Well, we have this God who is in relationship with himself and the defining nature of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is love. That's why Paul can pray. I pray that you might grasp this love. It doesn't spell it all out for us exactly how, but if you think, well, why would it matter? Why is God a being in relationship? Why? Because it explains that out of the overflow of the love of this God, he created a world and human beings that crave relationship. And the scriptures say that we're actually made in the image of God. Of course, it begins to give us clues as to who God is, but how could God be a relational, loving God if he's not himself in relationship? You can't experience and give and show love if you're by yourself, in a sense, right? So, of course, one God, and yet in relationship with himself and out of the overflow of the love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the world is made, and of course, then we crave relationship. This is why it matters that God is three in one. It begins to explain a little bit of who we are and how love makes the world go round. It's why inside of us we not only have a desire for love and intimacy, but there's something in us that says, wait, how did I get here? It is, in a sense, like the, 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 the children longing for the Heavenly Father, longing to understand who made me, how did I get here, what is my purpose in life. It's love. First and foremost, the Trinity just helps us understand. We don't get how it works, but we're so glad why it worked that way because it helps us understand, oh, this is who God is. This is how I know you are loving because you love your Son and the Son loves the Father, and out of that love they sent the Holy Spirit that would what? Help us to grasp love. 
And that Paul's saying, this is what I pray that you would grasp, not some heady intellectual kind of thing about your belief. I pray that you would grasp that he said that Christ would be sort of deeply rooted inside you. You'd be able to understand the love that God has for you. This is why it matters. But even more so, and I want you to think about this for a second. It's interesting, right? Because there are some worldviews and religions that believe in a God who is up there. Now, some would, some would call it God. Some would say it's a life force. Some, like George Lucas, say it's this force or something that is up there. The God who is up there, who presumably sort of made the world, uh, is in charge, is sort of directing the events. There's, there's lots of world religions and worldviews that have this kind of idea that God is up there. And then there are other worldviews and religions that say, no, no, God has to be down here with us. Um, some would say, well, God is in nature. Like, he, he must be physical, right? That he's in nature. He's revealed to us in mountains and rocks and trees. And people say, oh, I, I, I don't really go to church, but I love going to nature because it, it kind of makes me think of God, that God must be down here. And there are some that say, well, I'm not religious at all. You know why? Because if I can't see it, it's not real. Right, that your, your average person who's, who's maybe an atheist or an agnostic, the reason they are probably is because they look, I believe in science, I believe in the material world, I believe in what I can see. I, and I, I'm not into the stuff that I can't see, spirits, all, if there's anything God or anything real, it must be a part of this world, it must be down here, it must be you know, rocks and stones and flesh and blood and of this life, the air that we breathe. Right? So there's some that think, okay, there's the God who is up there, and others say, no, 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 it's the God who is down here, or no God at all, all, all we have is down here. And then there are other faith systems and religions that say, no, no, God is inside each one of us. God is in here. He's in me. And God is in you, and God is in me, and God is everywhere. And in a sense, we are gods. There's a sort of neo-Buddhist sort of thought that the Western world sort of loves. This is this idea that spirituality comes from within, that within each of us there is sort of God-like stuff that just needs to be released, and that's who we are, that God is in us. So some say there's the God who is up there. Others say, no, the God who is down here. And others say, no, the God who is in here. And as Christians, we say, yes to all three. And I'm not here to bash other religion and other faith, but I will tell you, this is unique in all world religions. There is not any other world religion that says, yes, God is up there, he is down here, and he is in here. God the Father is the one who is, in a sense, the, the paternal figure, the one who oversees, the one that we want to say, yes, somebody in control of this place. Yes. There's a God, and he's not just creator, he's not just sustainer, he's not just ruler, he's father. It's a relational word. Jesus taught us that this is how you should address God. Yes, he is high and holy, but when you pray, say, Father, Daddy. That the one in charge of the universe is the one who loves us. The God up there, in a sense, and I use up there, and I just, just refer to this idea of overall. But there is also the God who is down here, that God sent his son Jesus, who what? Became flesh and blood, so that we could see him, so that we could know who it is that we have believed in. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen God. Colossians says, uh, Hebrews, he, it's the exact representation of his being. Is that Colossians? Yeah. That with Jesus is the exact representation of the being of the Father. In other words, he's one, but he's flesh and blood. God down here with us, breathing the same dirty air that we breathe. 
That, that I don't just want to know that God is up there, but are you with me? Like, do you know what it's like to be human? Yes. Do you know what it's like to be misunderstood? Yes. Do you know what it's like to try to do the right thing and people think that you're hurting them? Do you know what it is to be wrongfully accused? Do you know what it is to be maligned, rejected? To live as a single person in a society that doesn't value singlehood at all? and always wants to put somebody next to you. They've always been trying to put a woman next to Jesus through all history because they can't possibly think that he would be satisfied by himself. Do you know what it's like? Yes. I've been of this world. I was born of this world. Not just God up there, but God down here with us. And then the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit so that God could be within us. Not so that we are gods, but that somehow we would have an intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Spirit that is not just this kind of thing that, you know, when we see people, we're with them and then we're gone, they're gone. Jesus says, I'm with you always. Never will I leave you or forsake you. That it's now that the, that the life you follow isn't by following some prescriptions or some things out there and what someone tells you to do is the Spirit within you. I will guide you from the inside out. I will change you from the inside out. A God who is only up there and, and only out there. You know, if it was only Jesus without the Holy Spirit, we'd say, great, Jesus, you're amazing, but I can never be like you. That's a great example, but I'm never going to catch up to you. Jesus says, no, no, I've sent my spirit into you who will change you. As you know, change isn't about fixing the external things and trying to look better. Change is about being transformed from the inside out. And the spirit is given to us from the Father and the Son to say, I will make you into the one you long to be and more. Right? It has to be this way. There has to be God up there, also down here, but also in me. And only in the Christian faith do we get it all. In a sense that God is everything that you long, him, long for him to be. In a sense, every other worldview, whatever, these are all clues pointing to say, yes, there is a God. But he's not an impersonal life force. He is a father who sent a son to show us his love, to bring us back into love relationship. And then, he, and then when he left this world, he sent the spirit to remain with us, to change us into the people we long to be. God, up there, down here in me. Father, Son, Spirit. This is what we believe. What we believe, if I really believed that, up there, down here, in me, that means he is ultimate reality for me. He begins to change. There is no sphere of life that he cannot affect and change. There is no place that I can go that he is not there. God is everything you long him to be, but he's always more than that which is the problem we have with God, right? When God is more than we want him to be. You know, my kids, like, they, they love me, but then sometimes I have to do things that they don't love. And when they're, they're much younger, not Noah, Noah's got it now, but when they're much younger, they get mad at you, right? They love you, but then you said no. Ah! Why not? Why? Because I'm not doing the things that they like anymore. I'm not conforming to the image they have of what a good father should be. You should give me another cupcake. You, shouldn't, you should let me stay up as long as I want. There's no end to a good day. There's no time that you should ever say no. Right? When your kids get mad at you, it's because you've said no. You've suddenly become something that they didn't want you to be anymore. And every one of us has that with God. Oh, I love you and I worship you like this, but now you're doing things I don't like. 
Or I might like it that you're up there. I just don't want you down here because that's a bit too close in my space. You know, I like it that you're with me, you're one of me. I don't like it that you're up there, that you might have a will and a plan for my life that's different than my own. No, I like it that you're up there and down here, but don't come inside me. I like who I am. I don't want to change. I don't need to change. I'll change myself. Right? There's, there's some aspect of God that every one of us finds offensive, so we just cut it out. We say, no, well, God is like this. And ultimately what we do is what? Instead of God creating us, we create a God in our image and say, I'll worship you because you never offend me. You do exactly what I want, and I can understand you all. See, one of the things that the doctrine of the Trinity in this sense points us to is saying, you don't fully get it. And we don't like that. So we just cut out the things we don't like about God. But it's a very scary place to be because if, if we like everything about God, chances are we are not worshiping God, we're worshiping our idea of God, which is just basically us presented in superhuman form. And you know what happens when we worship a God that we have created? We get proud. That's why religion, in a sense, always leads to pride. I got this. I understand. Any question you have, I can answer it. No mystery, got it all figured out. This is who God is, the way you're supposed to do, this is how, this is how the world works, blah, blah, blah. Right? When, you know, when we understand it all, we basically become the masters of our own soul. We understand how it works, and all that does is lead to pride. <laughs> when we come to God and say, you know what, I don't totally get you. I don't get this three-in-one thing, and I, I'm, I'm glad you're with me, but I'm struggling to see how you're in control of everything that's going on. Or, or I feel like you're in me, but now you're starting to change me and, and stir things in my heart and my life that, I'm, that are troubling me, and I don't know what to do about it. And so I, I, I want to run away from that kind of God because I can't control you. And what will you demand of my life? And how do you want to change me? And how are you allowing this situation to persist, even though I'm praying that it would stop? Right? We all come into that point that, in a sense, God is everything we long for him to be, and yet he's so much more, and it's the more part that we struggle with. We say, I don't know what to do with you. We come, in, in, that, in that sense, to a door. The door is mystery. And for some people, that's the end of the line for them. They walk away. You know what? I don't get this. I can't figure it out. There's too many unanswered questions. Don't, don't understand all that spirit world or what's going on here or what you're doing here. So, so I'm going to walk away. And some do. They come to this, this door of mystery and say, I just can't, I can't go anymore because I can't understand anymore. I've come to the end of my understanding and if I can't understand anymore, it doesn't make sense to me or I don't like what it means, I'm out. But in a sense, God always invites us to cross through that door. You know, what, you know why? Because mystery is the door to worship. Right? Like, like, if we're just worshiping a God we totally understand, who does everything the way we want it, we're, not, we're just worshiping our own ideas. Worship must have no ground underneath your feet. Worship must be the deep places where we go and say, I don't, I don't understand you. Not just theologically I don't understand you, I don't understand some of the things that you're allowing to happen in my life. I don't understand why some of these things are getting stirred up. Out in through that doorway of mystery is actually where worship begins. We sing that song, Holy. It's just saying, actually, you're nothing like me. But somehow you want to be with me and you want to make me more like you. And I don't totally get that, but I'm in. But this is deep water. See, the, the, every one of us has a door of mystery in our faith. You know, it's not just about saying, oh yeah, no, I, I'm a believer. It's like, no, every one of us comes to that place where saying, I, I don't, I think I've gone as far as I can go. I don't know where to go. I feel stuck. Sometimes we get stuck in our faith because we're like, I can't cross this threshold. 
I don't understand you right now. It's always mystery is the door to more of him. Mystery is the door to more. It is the threshold we cross and say, okay, now I'm out in the deep. I don't get it. But I, I don't, the one thing I don't want is to worship a God that I can totally understand because all that's going to do is make me proud. And in the end, realize I've just created an image of God that I like for myself. It's not really God that I must be encountering those things that I don't totally understand because that leads me into the place of worship. And so really what I want to invite you to do over these next eight weeks, and we have journals that um, we've got about eight different people in our church who have contributed to those. So we've got eight different people who have just been writing and really writing their own journey with some of these things, wrestling them, going, how does this make sense? What, how do we make sense of this and what does that mean for me? So if you, I'd encourage you to just pick up a journal. Even if you don't go to our church regularly, whatever, grab one, please, and you can listen online, follow us on podcasts. But to take this opportunity to say, okay, how can I begin to actually understand more of what I say I believe? For those who say, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. If my heart really believed, what kind of person would I really be? You know, Romans 10, 9 is one of those verses that we often use to quote and saying, oh, this is what belief is. If you, and it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. What does it mean for your heart to really believe? Say, how did the things that I think I know up here travel down that long distance to here? So that what I live out actually is what I really believe. We're going to take communion together in a few moments. Tony's going to pray for us. The communion table is actually one of those places of mystery, right? We don't totally get it. Jesus says, I'm present with you somehow when you break bread, drink the cup, which represent my life and my love given to you. It is an act of worship to actually receive it, to say, I don't totally get this, but I want more of you in me. I want more of you in my life. I want to know you more. And so for some of you, as you take it, maybe, maybe you've taken it lots of times, you want to say, Jesus, I, I, I've been a bit stuck at this door of mystery in this particular area of my life. I want to keep walking through. I want to, I want to be able to worship you. And for some of you, maybe you've never taken it, but you're like, you know what, I, I want to do that today. I actually, I, I've been waiting till I could figure out all the answers before I actually committed to following you, Jesus. And you know what, this is mystery. I'm not going to have it all figured out but I want to cross that threshold. I want to walk through that door. Jesus says, come, follow me <laughs> through this. And so maybe you're going to take this for the first time as a, as a statement, as a declaration really to him to say, I want to follow you. I, I want to know you more. And so Tony, would you just pray for us?